the curiosity, okay. You, you should be interested. Curiosity is something that you're interested in learning more about or understanding. And if you're not interested, it's not about curiosity it's because you're being forced to do something or learn a subject because whatever. And so if you're asking people a question in theory, they want to know the answer. And I feel like we should be able to be honest, um, again, with some level of professionalism of whatever your answers are in a workplace, but I don't think you should have to fake it. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We are here today with our guest, Lauren Yee, and she is known as the cultivator of curiosity. And yes, that is our topic today, curiosity and leadership. But we're going to talk about it across a wide range of leadership areas. We're going to talk about it in terms of uh, leading our people. We're going to talk about building relationships. We're going to talk about, this is a big topic, building cultures of psychological safety, why it's so important and ways we can use curiosity to achieve that psychological safety in the workplace. We're going to talk about curiosity at a very deep level. What does it really mean? And we're going to have a really interesting conversation at the end of the interview. Craig and Lauren and I are talking about some new ways to ask questions, some different questions that you can use to enhance your relationships, your connection with others, and of course, your leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here for, I know it's going to be a stimulating conversation. In fact, it's going to be a curious conversation. <laughs> How do I know that? Because we have the cultivator of curiosity with us today. Mm -hmm. Lauren Yee is with us. <laughs> she is the cultivator. She's also part of a company called This Us Now. She believes that curiosity, consistency, and connections are the greatest drivers of great things. Before becoming a facilitator and speaker, she helped build and grow the largest Lego-inspired STEM company in the United States, and she's worked with the Golden State Warriors, Google, Southwest Airlines, and Workdays to help them build community, establish inclusivity, and create psychologically safe work environments where the staff can play, thrive, and adult like a kid. Almost stumbled on that. We're going to learn more. So welcome, Lauren. Hello, it is great to be here. And yes, I know I throw a lot, a lot of words that aren't necessarily normal phrases. So you did great. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm, I'm curious about what they all mean. No, we're curious. We're all curious. And we started <laughs> curious. So Lauren, before we jump into the some of the stories, give us a little bit of your background story. Uh, what, is, what is my background? Um, it is a nonlinear one. Like I feel like a lot more people have had. Um, the the brief version is I thought I always wanted to be an architect. I loved it. I was the weirdo who would go to like a bookstore and get floor plan books as a elementary school kid. Great. I'm not alone. Um, and went to university and did that, worked in that field for a while, 
uh, got really burnt out at a specific job because it wasn't what I thought I wanted or what I thought it would be was it was it was not that in at least in that particular environment um and like quit multiple times because I was a nice person and kept staying um and then was an adult and had to figure out the next thing. Cause I was like, okay, I'm not leaving this field, but I need to not be in this job, but then I had to pay for stuff. So then I was in this weird space of find it. I have to pay for stuff, find a job. And I was like, very open to just like, I need whatever. Let's apply to things that I'm capable of. And I stumbled into a job where I got to play for a living with kids and Lego and teach. Um, and learning through play was something that I didn't know was a thing. But then when I did it, I was like, oh, I love this. I've always loved this. I love learning and being curious and learning by doing and hands-on stuff and getting in there. But I didn't know that was an option. Uh, and so accidentally stumbling into this job um, gave me kind of a different outlook on what was possible. And I really enjoyed it. So I kept staying, even though it's not a typical industry that people are aware of. Um, and I love my coworkers and what we did and it was rewarding. Um, and then that sort of ran its course, but then I still love the learning through play. And that's kind of where adulting like a kid came in <laughs> because um, I found that a lot of what I was doing with kids in classrooms in the best way possible, I was using, I was referencing a lot when I was talking to my staff or coworkers or leadership, not like in treating them like children, but just in the, we function in the same way. It's like in order to have good work relationships or environments or spaces or whatever to function, I was like, well, we do this in the classroom. Like I, I need you to do this with me also. Um, and so I wanted to help more people do that by play and being curious and well, I think it's interesting Learning. that you have the the work adulting, you turn it into a verb, <laughs> just like kidding is is a verb, but it's probably not the same. It doesn't mean the same thing, I would imagine. You know, the kidding is more like I'm joking with you versus, you know, adulting, I'm going to act like an adult. But <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like I kind of there was a, it, I, it may have run its course also, but I was like, I'm holding on to it. There was like a phase of time where people like Ugh, adulting is so hard, like paying bills and going to work. And so I was like, OK, adulting, but do it fun way. Adulting like a kid, like we could totally do that. Uh, just the word adult makes me makes me cringe. It makes me think, oh, <laughs> OK, I've, wanna... I've lost my well, I've lost my curiosity. I've lost my you know childlike nature. And, yeah. and I refuse to grow up. So <laughs> come to Neverland with me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My kids will attest. I, I don't want to grow up. <laughs> well, Lauren, you, you referenced it, but I'm not sure everybody tracked it because we sure. gave a brief bio for you. You're talking about time with this Lego inspired STEM company. So talk oh, a little awesome. bit more so people understand what are you talking about when you're talking about Lego inspired? Okay. So it was not Lego to be clear, but we used Lego because it's an amazing medium. Like many yes. kids now and potentially before had Lego as a kid in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, if you are not familiar, they're like little bricks with bump things so you can attach them. But then that's what I had as a kid. But when I interviewed with this company, when I worked with them, there's so many other pieces that I didn't like, they have gears and pulleys and motors. Um, and there's axles and bushings and you can build cars and things that are motorized that move and function like robotics. machines. Ro there's robotics. And I didn't have that as a kid. So when I 
stumbled into this. I was like, what is all of this? And we were using Lego as a medium to teach kids about STEM. So engineering and physics and stuff like that, because we were tricking them by playing. And then we also, (laughs) um, me and another colleague, uh, grew the team, the nationwide team building department. So we were doing it with adults where we were, um, tricking adults into learning stuff about their communication styles or leadership or team, team dynamics by getting them to play with Lego, uh, and kind of getting out of their own heads because we're too in what, being an adult and being at work and how we function together is supposed to be. But when you play with something or put yourself in a different sort of environment, um, you, you kind of forget all of what you're supposed to do. Cause you're like, this is new and I don't know how to function in this, or we're asking you to do something that's um, less in your normal daily state of things. So your brain doesn't have a norm to go to and well, you get really- to like see people be themselves. Well, so Lauren, Help us connect the dots. You talked about in this phrase, it's a tongue twister, but adult, adult like a kid mm-hmm. or adulting, as you referred to it. And you're also the cultivator of curiosity. So how do those connect this idea of adult like a kid, but in, mixed with curiosity? So in there's a, there's many ways that you can adult like a kid. Um, but one of my one of the ways that I think is, is kind of like a like a gateway <laughs> to that is curiosity for me because when you think about a kid, oftentimes like and I, when I say kid, I think like um, elementary and below, like age ten and below, because then school and other things start to play stronger pieces in our lives. Um, but when you're a kid, you you're learning things like you you don't know almost anything. Um, and you're learning and you're curious and there's that phase where you're asking questions all the time. You're having fun. Um, you have different interests. You're like, I'm going to collect magic cards or baseball cards. And then you're like, nope, I'm over that. And now you're interested in something else. And that's kind of expected. And then once we hit like middle school, high school and beyond, a lot more things start telling you that things are silly or wrong, or there's mm. black and white right answers, or there's ways to get the right grade so you can get your GPA, so you can do the next things in life, and there's like a right path. And yes, that has to happen to some extent for functioning in our world, but I feel like it almost like overcorrects childhood, like it's too yep. structured. And so by the time <clears throat> we get to like 18 and we're quote unquote adults, out of all of a sudden, we're just adults now. Um, sort of some of us we're expected (laughs) to be we're supposed to be adults legally um and then we become adults at whatever point we decide we feel like it uh but then at the same time we're like you're supposed to like know thing like like have the right answers and know everything to some extent like we're embarrassed if we have the wrong answer or we don't want to ask stupid questions and we lose a lot of the um what am i curious about for fun or interested in or uh, understanding because I don't want to ask because I don't want to look foolish or it's uncomfortable or I'm not good at it. Uh, but when you're learning, that's expected and we don't want to make mistakes. So like, there's this crazy gap of like child and adult and like what's expected from each and what we like from ourselves and from other people. Do you find that most people have lost their curiosity or are you finding that it's, it's relatively easy to help them tap into it? Why not both, Craig? <laughs> um, I feel okay. like uh, not, and it's maybe not lost, but it's just, it's like been 
uh, wrapped in a box. <laughs> it's like there, <laughs> but like we're scared, right? Put it because, on a shelf, let it get dusty. Yeah, yeah, we're just like, I just, you know, I'll use this sometimes when I'm comfortable using it, but being uncomfortable okay. is part so, of learning. So now we get into this whole issue of, is it now about fear of looking bad or one of those other things that those social fears of not being accepted and so forth that causes them to not stick their hand up, ask the stupid question, because really in innovation, the stupid questions are the only ones that matter anyway. It's yes. Uh, <laughs> I think, I mean, that, I think that that's a big part of it. I think that there's, there's the two parts. There's the part that you just brought up of um, fear of looking foolish or shame, or like I'm supposed to be the CEO and I'm <laughs> supposed to be the leader and know things. And like, if I don't like, why am I charged? Like there's those levels of losing yeah. curiosity because of that. But then there's also, I think, um, kind of like the schooling thing where we're practiced in what's expected or supposed to. Um, and because we're told like, this is, this is the way for so long that sometimes we don't like, we kind of have like the, the reflex answers. Like if you, oftentimes, if you ask somebody like, what are your hobbies? Or like, what do you like to do outside of your work life? And they're like, oh, I love to go like hiking and I like to paint. And you're like, well, when was the last time you hiked or painted? And they're like, oh gosh, I don't know. It's like, well, do you actually, do you actually like that? Or do you just think you're supposed to like that? Or you do that because yeah. your other friends say so? <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit reflective also because it's like, are we just kind of going through the motions? Or like, are we actually, what are we actually interested in? So I'm glad you I'm glad you split those up because I was listening to you, Lauren, and I'm thinking, I don't know that I've ever been afraid to be curious, okay. but I've been, a, but I've been afraid to share ideas, mm -hmm. which to me are different. Like There's I have had the fear wow. of not having all the answers, but I've never been afraid of being curious. And I'm glad you separated them because I think a lot of the, the lack of curiosity is it's been culturized out of us. Because mm -hmm. I just think of people and say, Hey, you want to have fun? Be curious. I, we actually have talked about the belief that leaders need to be curious because that, whether it's about the process, about growth, the vision, even about your people, mm -hmm. that is so vital to just have that sense of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting in, in uh, 2010, IBM did a study of global CEOs, like 1800 CEOs, something like that. And they came down to one word that defined the role of CEO, and that was creativity. You had to be able to solve problems and things like that. And I don't think you can solve problems very well if you don't have curiosity. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I, I think that it is, it's hard kind of with how we've gotten trained. There's the self-interest curiosity questions. And some people maybe have that um, personally or in their personal social life. And then there's like, the structured environments like work or school or potentially in friend groups also depending where you like don't want to look like you don't know what's happening um and i think that those the the fact that they're separate is real and there's this thing of like work life balance and they're separate and there's like <laughs> you leave that at home and you go to work and do work and you leave that there but that's not real like it is, but we're all one human. And like, yes, I can like not talk about my home life specifically, but like all that stuff that I'm dealing with comes with me. My whole self that I am, I want to authentically bring somewhere because yep. 
I'm like, it's, it's exhausting and energy spending to like separate everything. Um, and so I think that there is something to it being separated, but maybe it shouldn't be with the curiosity of like making spaces where people can bring that into the work life as well. Yeah. Well, it, we've had that conversation many times on the podcast and some of our leadership development programs about how too often companies have told people, leave your personal lives at home. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. Sometimes literally not even, that's not even a subtle message. It's a literal statement. Mm -hmm. And so we're right on board with that, that these are all integrated. It's a human being. And I know that part of your work is about bringing more humanity to work in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean when you talk about bringing more humanity to work? Uh, I mean, in, in a sense, yes, just because in the now, uh, there was, okay, corporate world, work life separate, and then pandemic. And everything became, and it became the same because people, not everybody could, but a lot of people right. had to work from home. You're in video calls with coworkers who you don't talk to on a regular basis and you're seeing their living rooms and kids right. run in the background and a cat somewhere and whatever's happening and noises. Um, and so work life became this like forced to be the same in a little bit of a abrupt, uncomfortable way. Right. But at the same time coming, like, I know that some people are like, I need more separation, but I don't think that it's going to be able to even whether people want to or not go back to how it was because we've been sort of, it's been forced together and we've seen what that is for better or for worse, sometimes depending on situations. Right. Um, but I think that bringing like as people go back to work in this time and also just like whatever work is happening now bringing humanity back to work is just like we are people outside of this position yeah. um and that can be it's it's the it's in the little things right um i don't have to be in your living room but also if you need time off for something and you have pto to spend I don't need to know why. Like, great, take it. You need a mental health day? Great. You're sick? Okay, I believe you. Like, just like, there's like a trust of just like, you as a human deserve to be a human and also work here. You don't have to be this just like pawn or a cog or whatever metaphor we want to use. Um, and I think that that, especially in this time and moving out of this time of the, what has happened in the pandemic, a lot more people are wanting that or needing that. And you're seeing, um, because they've had to like figure it out yeah. and you're seeing a lot more, uh, like you've mentioned places that have been less subtle about leave your work, work at work at home and home and whatever. There's like exoduses from places yeah. where like, no, I can't, I can't do it this way anymore. And so we have to treat people like people. We should in, you know, in, I guess in a lot of small businesses or, or businesses where you're dealing with clients, those client interactions are also some of those things where you can see the humanity or not. Um, I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, I lost my mom. So sorry. That's Thank hard. You. And I, I notified some of my clients of that, you know, the, the ones that I have some ongoing work with and everybody to, you know, all of them said, don't worry about us. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. And 
you know, that was so refreshing and, and realizing that I had chosen the right clients, <laughs> you know, yeah. to look at it that way and just say, you know, I really appreciate your humanity in this. And, you know, some of these are some tight timelines and things like that. I'm like, don't worry about that. Yeah. To your, to your point, Lauren, and I'm curious for both of you, Craig, too, because we, I don't think we've talked about this specifically. One thing I noticed during COVID, and I think it trailed off, but in the beginning with all the Zoom calls, how often people apologized for the humanity in the yeah. experience. Like yeah. people would say, oh, I'm sorry about the dogs, or my dog just came in here, or, oh, that, that small child, I'm really sorry about that. And I kept saying, why are you apologizing? Right. And at first I thought it was a natural politeness, but then I started to think maybe there's more of an embedded thing. Like this is somehow wrong and it's not professional. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, Lauren, what's been your, are you seeing that shift happen that people are getting comfortable with that? Or are we still got to trying to keep the walls up? I think, I mean, it, uh, in a, general sense right because like it's going to be different for every human whoever you are like what you're comfortable with or not comfortable with or where you're at on that scale but I do think um in like sort of the masses I have seen that shift because I remember I remember I've worked um remotely but gone into the field uh so like I'm not just only remote but uh I've done that for like probably over a decade now. So like I'm, this was not new to me specifically, but then it was really interesting to see people who was new for, and I did notice things like that. I was like, it's fine. Like, it's totally like, there's a mess behind me. It's totally fine. Um, But I think that also um, there was so much of a focus on it too, at one point, and it's kind of dropped off in the sense of people apologizing or, um, the number of uh, weird, like not news articles, but things that were like, did you see that newscaster's background or this celebrities, whatever, like what's on their bookshelves? Um, and there was so much interest in it. And then people, whether people had virtual backgrounds or not, or were trying to curate their, um, their, their visual space behind them. And I think that that definitely had its, there was a peak of that. And I think there's still some, cause you know, you don't wanna, you still wanna appear professional, but human. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I think that that's definitely been less of a focus or a worry for more people because like there's just been a realization of we are all in this and you're you are like me. And when I apologize, you're saying it's fine. So then it's kind of like a pay it forward spreading of things where like, well, when I'm with someone else then and I'm just like they apologize. I was like, oh, no, well, someone else said it was fine for me. I'm going to say it's fine for you. And it's like kind of sort of come down from there. And that's OK. To me, I think one of the one of the first times I ever saw it modeled well was when I was in a small group Bible study and the pastor that was there that was teaching, his daughter came into the room and just plopped down on his lap and he just kept mm-hmm. going. I was like, well, she shouldn't do that. And then I thought, that's cool. Wow. Okay. So we can do this. Okay. So it was, it was just this shift of, oh, we can be real and do what we need to do and still have our kids with us doing that, you know, and same thing with animals and things like that. Well, I'm curious about, you know, this example of remote remote working and curiosity, as you pointed out, we see what, if, unless we put up the screen, like people are putting up their um, backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So many people put up backgrounds. 
And I did it because things were a mess behind me for a while. But then I, this is the picture that was behind me for the, almost the whole time. Uh-huh. And what I noticed is a lot of people commented on it mm-hmm. and would say, wow, that's a really pretty picture. But they, most people didn't ask about it. They just commented on it. And what I started doing is I would say, because it's true, I love that picture and it's got a great story with it. And they would say, oh, can I hear the story? Mm-hmm. So it was like I was having to feed the curiosity that opened up a very different conversation. Then, yeah, because now I get to share a bit of who I am, and now we open the door for them to share. But it, most people didn't ask about it. I mean, I remember like five total who said, "I'll bet yeah. there's a story with it," but the rest, I had to prime the curiosity pump. Um, both of your anecdotes here. I think bring up a really important point um, because some people will be outwardly curious in whatever situation and some won't because they're like, maybe I'm not supposed to like, it's, I don't want, I don't want to go there, but um, people have choice, can make choices on what they do or don't want to answer. And that's fine. Um, But both of your stories, it's about um, kind of like in, in this idea of the look foolish or ashamed or silly or professional, unprofessional. is about permission. Um, somebody needs to tell you that it's okay. And if you haven't had that or don't expect that or understand that, then it does like, like for Craig, you're with your um, pastor person um, and the daughter who came in, you were just like, oh no, but they like, did, like didn't address, like addressed in the sense, like she sat down, he's like, I'm gonna keep talking. And that's, and you're like, oh, I guess that's fine. Yeah. He gave you permission for that to be like a totally, completely normal interaction. And without just, saying anything. <laughs> without saying it just happened. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, actions are important. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> Jeff, in your example, you, you know, people might be like, oh, that's cool. But they don't want to pry because we are used to personal stuff. And like, maybe it's from who knows. And we're making up all these stories. And so you giving permission to be like, oh yeah, it's got a great thing. I love this. I got it from a friend, whatever. And they're like, oh, he brought it up. Can I ask more questions now? So permission or being the first person to do or say or allow or whatever, or model something is huge. Um, especially in like lead in leadership, whether you're a quote unquote titled leader position or whoever you are, you can lead by example and modeling and allowing it to be okay or proving to people that it's okay. So I think something that we should do, all three of us right now should just go ahead and do dispensation and make, give people permission to be curious. What do you think? I think that's great. I'm doing it all day long. All right. There we go. There we go. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. Well, so I I love what you brought up, Lauren, because I know part of what you do in your work, and we talk about it a lot here, is this idea of creating psychological safety at work. And a big chunk of that, I believe, is about that permission Mm -hmm. and being modeled by whom primarily the leader, whoever Mm -hmm. that formal leader is. Sure. So talk about that, but it's maybe it's a separate question, but also the opportunity that every individual has to create that safety. Cause I think too many people are waiting for permission saying, mm-hmm. I can't control this. So talk about that from your experience. Okay. I'm going to start with one place. And if I don't make it to the other, you can remind me. I'll remember. <laughs> um, so I think that ooh, I'm going to start, I'm going to start and then we'll figure out where we're going with it. Um, psychological safety. Um, safe is hard as a word, just because, you know, that's up to, I can't force you or make sure that you're going to feel that way, but I can do everything in my power to create an environment where hopefully, uh, you feel brave enough to say, ask, do things, whatever. I think one of the biggest, most tangible ways that, um, people can think about like the psychological safety of a workspace or relationship space is being able to make a mistake or not. Um, because uh, again, we're adults, we're expect like, I've hired you for this job. You should know what to do. I've told you what to do, do the thing, do the right thing all the time. Um, and that's fine if you don't want innovation, (laughs) totally a hundred percent. Um, and there's the two versions of just like, you know, going through your job. And when I worked at like the, like the Lego inspired STEM company, and we were doing programs with kids, I had instructor educator staff and you know, you're interacting with kids on a regular basis and their families and like a lot of customer service things come up just because kids are different, situations are different. And every so often you'd get a call from a staff member that would call you and say, hey, 
so-and-so and there's like you could hear it in their voice where they're just like so something happened and you're like okay <laughs> would you like to expand <laughs> and <laughs> I think that there's this there's this tension like a surface tension of like am I about to get in trouble or did I do something terrible or am I gonna be um uh Like, is there going to be some sort of like retaliation or a bad thing that's about to happen to me? And that is a, not a great feeling. And yes, sometimes things happen where uh, there does have to be certain repercussions because of whatever situation has arisen, but just the fact of trying to be able to ease, like we're having a discussion, like I'm not trying to scold you or lecture you. It's a discussion. Here are several other phrases you can use. Here are other resources. Here's another way that you could have done something. It's about the process so people can learn versus just be scared of making mistakes all the time. Wait, wait, you um, don't fire somebody when they make a mistake? I mean, you could, but is that helpful? <laughs> um, that would be a I, really difficult place to <laughs> find people. <laughs> it would, it would, because then you'd also have to be constantly hiring people yes, probably. Right. Um, and then like you also said, Craig, it's making people, if, if you can create that space where people feel like they can, something cannot go right which I feel like mistake and failure feel really scary to a lot of people because they're big, heavy words or we've made them to be. But if something Mm -hmm. goes not right or not as expected and it's okay, then you're creating a space where you're telling them that it's also like you can be creative and I'm not going to punish you. (laughs) There was a thing that we would say um, to in that company where especially two kids and I would say to my staff where it's, um, Again, it's a scary word, but if we're trying to take away its negative power, um, like fail faster, succeed sooner, or like fail forward. Um, because I, like you, you have, like, that's how you learn. That's part of learning. And that's what we want in our classrooms. That's what I want for you. I want you to grow as a person, but you can't grow. If you're not trying new things, you're just going to stay the same. And that's, that's no fun. Um, and I think that Jeff, what you brought up is actually another really important factor of what people do or don't have control over. Um, so I was in like at that company, um, was, a I guess like middle, I was a manager of staff running programs, but then I was not necessarily in a like leadership, leadership position. Um, and I would manage my staff and create this space and communication and like team. Like I referenced them as a team and I felt that way. Like, I'm going to try hard for you. I'm going to respect you. I expect the same from you to me. Um, if something's not great, like we're going to readjust so that we make sure we're on the same page, but then sometimes we'd get not pushback, but if something happened in my area and then leadership heard about it and like, well, you have to do this, or this is bad, or this is the right way to do it. And I would push back. Cause I'm like, that's not going to work. I didn't, that's not how it happened. I understand where you're coming from, from the top, but also what's on the ground. And there's, there is that disconnect. And so Sometimes you can control that and sometimes you can't, but in the realms that you can, you, you have more, I think that each individual probably has more power and control in their situation than they realize or giving themselves credit for or assuming they can, How much which I of, think is important. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, That's okay. Um, I'm just wondering from the manager's perspective, how much do they need to just absolutely stand behind their people? You know, so mistake happens, you know, two levels up, hears about it. Oh my gosh, you know, what's going on with this person? 
manager steps in and says, no, this, this is okay. This is, this person is learning something along this process. Yes, there was a mistake made. Chances are that's not going to happen again, but if it does, it's probably going to be a little bit different. Um, how much does that, does that manager need to really go to bat for their people in order to create that psychological safety? Okay. Speaking from my perspective and, you know, everyone's situation is different. So I have no idea what your listener, what their space is like, but I do think that in my opinion, it's extremely important with keeping in mind, like what I, the, what I had to stand up for was also what our, like our company's um, values were, I was aligned with. Um, and I think that that was kind of also my, um, it wasn't just like, no, I said, it's fine to my staff. And so I'm fighting back with you. It was like, well, we did this, this was fine. Like you said, we could like, one of our things was like, take risks and play. It was like, everybody's fine. We didn't lose a bunch of money. Like sometimes money gets lost too. And like, depending on what it is, that is okay. That's the best choice for whatever happened. Um, but because I was like, these are what our company values are. I could align that with my team and make it gave me a compass to make my choices for what was going on in an area. And if I just threw my team under the bus constantly, when leadership said so, that's, I mean, sometimes things happen or sometimes you don't realize and have to readjust and do that. But I think that if everyone can, I mean, communication is important. And if you can be on the same page as much as possible um, with those that you work with the most, um, it will kind of take care of itself to some extent. Um, if you have, if you're all on the same page with the same compass, and if I need to fight back to somebody using the compass that in theory, we're both using, we're either, it should be a discussion or it'll, um, or like, you know, you have more of a reason, there's more of a reasoning behind it. Um, if that, well, that makes sense. I'm glad you brought up values because what we see is that too often either the company doesn't have that compass, uh -huh. but most companies have some form of compass, mm -hmm. whether they're living it all the time. And one thing we encourage people to do is go back to the compass because mm -hmm. it's a different conversation versus saying you're, you're wrong or I'm right saying, wait a right. minute, let's talk about values. Mm -hmm. What you're suggesting here doesn't seem in alignment with the values because mm -hmm. that to me does two things. It brings it back to the most important topic, which is values. Mm -hmm. And then it creates a scenario where maybe you're going to find out if that company really believes in the value. It goes with your, uh, the, can we innovate and make mistakes? It's like a, these are right. our values. You're like, but are they really? Nope. So they're not. So okay. Now I know, now I know, and yeah. I know what to expect. Yes. So I something you did, I want to go further into this. You talked about cult psychological safety, having lots of levels. We've talked a lot about the safety to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I would say related to that is, you know, is it safe to not know all the answers? That would be some version of there's a vulnerability. But the point is, I'm hearing is there's a lot of layers. And one that I think is surfaced during COVID is, is it okay to not be okay in the workplace? Part, part of me wants to just be like, it has to be. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't have a good, I don't have a yes or no answer to that, but I think that that's also an important factor um, because there has been a very clear um, thing brought to the forefront of people being like the, how's it going? And we, the reflex of fine, we're good. Like 
but you don't think about it. You're just like, oh, it's good. It's like, but it, is it actually? Because like, like, especially now things have have like, there's been like traumatic, like people have lost their jobs or like family or like housing situations. And it's like, are you actually fine? Because like most people in the world right now are not fine. And there's just been like a, um, again, kind of a shift that I think people are like, I don't want to fake it anymore. And I think that we, people shouldn't have to, I mean, like to some extent, like if someone's like, how are you? He's like, oh, it's like not that great, but you don't have to tell them your life's traumas from all, all your entire life. Like there's a, there's a in-between. But um, I think that that's, again, kind of an important thing of bringing humanity back to work of like, you're a person. And if I'm going to ask you a question, the curiosity, okay, you, you should be interested. Curiosity is something that you're interested in learning more about or understanding. And if you're not interested, it's not about curiosity. It's because you're being forced to do something or learn a subject because whatever. And so if you're asking people a question in theory, they want to know the answer. And I feel like we should be able to be honest, um, again, with some level of professionalism of whatever your answers are in a workplace, but I don't think you should have to fake it or lie. Well, don't, do you see that this is another example where the leaders can model it? Because if, if someone's asking a question, that can be risky unless you've seen a prior experience where it was okay to be honest. Mm -hmm. And my view would be that's where the leaders, especially the positional leaders can start sharing that. So that they're, saying, that they're saying, Hey, you know, I'll tell you this week, I'm struggling because the kids are going back to school and we have some uncertainty with that. And so now people can say, Oh, it's okay to talk about that. So when they ask me, how am mm -hmm. I doing? I don't have to give them the drama story, but I can say, you know, <laughs> I heard you. I got the, I'm really struggling today this week with school and all these things. Yeah, I've seen some of that too, where um, even if it's not the leadership person in leadership um, divulging, if you will, um, it could be like the, hey, Jeff, how's it going? And Jeff goes, oh, fine. But you can read that, right? And then the person who asked can go, that doesn't quite like, no pressure. Like that doesn't sound that like fine, how you answered, like what's really, like really, how are you doing? Like you get ask again, like, yeah, but like, really, like, how is it really? Are you really fine? Um, so even just asking again, because it's become such a reflex in this particular instance of people being okay or not okay in the workplace, um, I think that it's become a reflex of how is it, how's it going? Good. And you're like, okay, but how's it actually going? It like forces people to actually think so they don't just say good again. Um, well, and that can be another that question. Is, do you think part of that is changing our questions? Because if someone asks me that question, my knee jerk is they just want to hear fine. Cause that's that question. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Is become almost meaningless unless mm -hmm. there's a shift in the communication and mm -hmm. the relationship, because that's been the throwaway phrase. I've been, I've been around for a long, I'm 62 years old. That's been the throwaway. How mm -hmm. are you? I'm fine. Right. It is this script that a lot of us have bought into and so my concern is if we keep asking the same question, why is someone going to answer it differently? And maybe we can actually change the question with a different level of curiosity. So instead of saying, instead of saying, how are you doing? I can say, I know there's a lot going on. And I know, cause I've been curious before. I know you've got a couple little kids that went back to school. How's that going for you? That is a very different question than how are you doing? 
I think that that's a, a really great way of doing it. I think I, I don't know if there's a good, uh, I don't have, if anybody, if either of you or any listeners have any suggestions on a general good new question, I'd love to hear it. Um, but if it is specific, because sometimes like you're like, should I ask? It's again, it's the permission thing. Like, should I ask the specific? Like, how are your kids? But it could just be like, hey, like it's a new school year starting. Like, how's it going? But like prompting it with like an extra framing ahead of it but without being like, mm-hmm. depending on your relationship with the people, I think is also a great way. So it's like, oh man, uh, it's been a chaotic week for me. How about you? What's what's going on? Like just something like framing it in a different way um, can also be a good option. I think there are a few things that also happen here. One is oftentimes when we ask that question, how's it going? I'm not looking at you in the eyes, mm-hmm. right? I'm passing you. It's, it's on the way to doing something else. And so I don't really want to hear the answer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but when you stop and you look the person in the eye and you say, how are you doing? You know, that's a very different question, even True. though it's the same question. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I think context, the context and the, uh, in there's so many levels to everything, the environment yes, that you're setting up Absolutely. for the question. If you can set up a thing where like, this is, I'm, we're sitting down having coffee or whatever, or like I'm staring at you and I'm not like doing something over here, which is like, how's it going? And like, let me get my paperwork. Um, that's a, that is a very different, uh, read for the other person. I would take that phrase out of our language so that if we only use it when we have time to actually listen to the person, otherwise we just say, hi, you know, hope you're having a good day or something like that. Right. Versus, Hey, how's it going? Which is the throwaway question. And then the more we ask that without really meaning it, when we do ask it, they're not going to think we mean it. Yeah. So I wonder, as we're sitting here talking about possible questions, (laughs) I have an idea. I just love a reaction to it. So question would sometimes say is what's new with you. Yes. And most people will say nothing much mm-hmm. because that's the yeah. script we've culturally created. Mm-hmm. You're right. I that's will usually one. say something like, and I do the other things, the body language and the tone, but all I add is, so what's new in your world? Mm-hmm. Because it's a, now it's changed the question. It's not what's new. And it's also embraced in your world. And I found that yeah. people share more in response yeah. to that question. I use that question too. And I like that a lot. Um, the other, the other thing is, what have you done fun recently, you know, or, or something like that. So it depends on what it is that you're mm-hmm. trying to get from them. Totally. If you haven't seen them in a while, maybe you're just trying to find out what, you know, but I think that is a good question, Jeff. Um, can I throw, I'll throw one in here where, okay. It's, I'm not trying to make everyone be silly all the time, but <laughs> the adulting like a kid and kind of getting out of your own head thing. Um, I saw this recently and I did it with a group of friend, like friend colleagues. And it was actually really kind of interesting where I asked them and I'm actually like, if you, if you want to answer it, this is not for every realm of people, depending on your professional (laughs) relationship. But I, we did a a check-in at the beginning of a conference call thing. And we did a, uh, if you could describe your current state of being as a food, what are you? Spaghetti. Oh, I'm intrigued. It's like a little, maybe a little messy. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little messy right now. You know, I got some sadness going on. I have, you know, but, but that's also mixed with gratitude and several other things, you know, certainly the focus of my mom is, is a big part, but 
Yeah. Also understanding that my family is here and that we're supporting each other. You know, there's, there's a lot to be thankful for. So it's a mess, but it's, um, it's a tasty meal. I would say I'm a carrot. A, as, <laughs> a single no. carrot, like a raw carrot or like a cooked carrot? <laughs> no, like the plant, the carrot, because it's really deep in the ground. Oh, it's really well grounded and it's really solid. It's solid, but it's also, it's, it's not complete. It's not hardened. A it's carrot's sweet. not hardened. It's just solid. It's got a sweetness to it, but it's that grounded sense is why if the carrot, and I don't even like carrots that much, but it came to me <laughs> feeling, I'm kind of feeling very grounded right now. That's a okay. very fun question. Uh, well, I will say I put carrot in my, in my marinara sauce. Oh, perfect. There perfect pairing. <laughs> um, but yeah, cause it's like, again, it's not for every group. And if you throw it in there and that's not your norm, it's going to feel weird. But again, it kind of like gets people out of their head and you could be like, what food are you? And you could say, and why? And they can explain whatever level they want. They can share. There's like a, a the permission, but um, a, allowing for people to offer or not giving that space. Yeah, it's not the um, thing that you ask again, for. It's not passing for somebody. every, like, nice to meet you. <laughs> but you want to know, I want to know their answer. I'm very curious about people. So, so Lauren, let me ask you something about that question. Because mm -hmm. you, you're right, people, and I love that people can decide how deep they take it. Mm -hmm. However, what will significantly influence that is what people say before that and their answer. Because, and that's why I'm wondering in those cases, do you generally answer that first to set the tone? Because if you say, like, if you say Craig's answer, spaghetti, I'm dealing with loss mm -hmm. in my family and all that, people are more likely to come up with a deeper answer, I believe. The mm -hmm. first person says, I don't know, I feel like a beat. Why? Um, I don't know, just because I'm feeling I'm red today. <laughs> that next person now may wonder, oh, I don't know. So yeah. I go back to the question, how important is it when you ask questions like that to model and go first to set the tone of where they might go with it? I think that it depends on the type of question. And I have a separate fun question that I'd like to ask. But for this one, um, I think that in this case, I we did model because I was like, people can explain more if they want. Um, but I, um, I had a co- facilitator that was running a thing and they we both had like okay I'll say the question and then you give your answer and then I'll give my an example and then we'll call on people and theirs was like oh I feel like I'm like taffy that's being currently made because it's like kind of being stretched in a lot of ways I was like oh cool and then I at the time like yesterday was I was like I feel like I'm like ice cream at a kid's birthday that's been out for just a little bit longer than you want it to be before you serve it. Cause I'm like excited to be here, but like a little bit hot and melty. <laughs> um, so like, there's like people can explain or not um, in this particular way, but sometimes um, if you'll indulge me in another one of my, my favorite question, uh -oh. favorite question. I do a lot of, it allows for a lot of wherever you want to go. So I will, give some framing, but I want people to be able to say whatever they want. Um, can, will you, can I ask you? Bring it. Okay. Uh -huh. This is my favorite thing to ask of people that I know that I've never asked or Uber Lyft drivers or people at a networking event or people that I've met at a conference because I don't, I want to get to know you. Like, nice to meet you, Craig. You're from North Carolina, apparently. What do you do for a living? But then what can I know about you <laughs> other than this, like, 
resume of information that I'm going to forget after I've met 30 people. Um, my favorite question is what is something that you are weirdly particular about? Not a pet peeve about other people, you yourself. So I'm, I am going to something that I'm particular about because I know it's something I just notice all the time. I'm weirdly particular these days about the Oxford comma and how it doesn't apply everywhere. It doesn't apply everywhere. Interesting. Let's have a chat on the side. I use it. I use it. I like it. Me too. And I know Craig does. I know he does. I I also use it aggressively. Like I will edit, re-edit something. Like I added the comma there. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So you're sometimes yes and sometimes no on the Oxford comma. I have my own rule about it. And within that rule, it's very particular. It's interesting because I was, I was like, thinking typos and things like that as well. But <laughs> um, I'm I'm rather particular about uh, language, but not always precise. Uh, do you have a particular language share that you'd like to share with us today? Uh, it, it's it's just funny. Um, I was in Puerto Rico last week, and on the way back in there in the airport there was a store called El Market. Well, that's not English or Spanish. El is Spanish, sort of, but market, it would be El Mercado. So my wife is a Spanish teacher. She's like, why would they do this? It's, you know, (laughs) like, no idea. So it's just those stupid little things that we do to try to fit in, but don't really. Okay. So like a, like a, the, you want logic to your language. I want logic, but I also want feeling. So I, that's, that's one of those things where I've always been in my head and now I'm learning to be much more in my heart, you know, from the, from the, how I approach things. I had a coach one time. So how do you feel about this? Well, I think that, you know, and it kept going back and forth like Like that. And I finally realized what I was doing. (laughs) Oh, interesting. I'm intrigued by both of these things. Um, thank you for sharing. How about you? Um, what are you weirdly particular? About? I will also say oftentimes people are like, I'm not that particular about anything. I was like, yes, you are. I know yeah, for something. Yeah. Think about it. Or people are like, oh, so many things. I was like, choose one. Indulge us. Um, I also feel like I have many things, but um be- the one that come came to mind just now that is not about language or or typing. Um, I wasn't always like this, but someone mentioned it to me and I was like, this makes so much sense. And so now when I put dishes away, the clean dishes away from the dishwasher or a drying rack or whatever, um, I like rotate them. (laughs) Not okay. In the sense that whatever I just used got used and whatever's in the cabinet or in the drawer hasn't gotten used. So I'll take the spoons and put them underneath or like the Mm. plates underneath. Otherwise I'm like, but yeah, otherwise I'm using the same like two plates or whatever is over and over. And like, that's like not fair to the other plates. And then why do I have these plates? And so like, I'm just like, yeah, why don't I like, like, like replace them so that everything goes through the cycle. And I was like, I feel not, I'm particular was like, if I'm doing it, I will do that. I will put the cups further in the back and bring other ones forward. Cause I was like, that's nice for everybody. But if someone else doesn't do it, I don't specifically care. But like, for me, like I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to do it. Yeah, clearly this really opens up some conversation. That's a really good question. But again, that one has a lot more like less framing because it could be anything. Yeah. So I think it does matter, but not a job. So, so Lauren, uh, we're heading towards a wrap up here. There's a question 
I really feel compelled to ask because it just came up recently. And I think it was actually in one of our guests. We are big proponents of the concept of creating cultures of safety and psychological safety. And I heard some pushback recently that suggested this, that some version of why are we creating safety? Because we can't assure safety mm-hmm. and people need to have adversity in order to become more resilient. Yeah, let's beat them all up. And so I have um, my quick pop, my quick point on that is that to me, psychological safety is not about making it perfect, but it's absurd to me to say, well, let's just allow the bully to stay here because people need to learn to deal with bullies. That to me doesn't make sense. So any initial reaction to this idea that creating a culture of psychological safety actually doesn't serve the people because it potentially sets them up to not learn to be resilient. I think (laughs) that um, slightly out of like, without knowing the full context of whatever that person was talking about, how I take that is I was, there's, there's a difference between adversity of, of like challenge and creativity and being able to innovate and like be resilient is one thing in a um, like regular, like hurdle situation space versus if it's a, if it's like an outside factor versus if it's a person, if it's a bully person situation, your culture climate of your company is only as good and as quality as the least is like the lowest um, thing that you allow. And so if it's a person situation, that's not, I would hard disagree with that. Um, If there's like challenges, it is learning where it's just like, I'm going to not withhold the information, but like, let them learn this thing by making, I I can see where it's going and it's not going to be catastrophic, but I want them to learn by doing. So there's one version of adversity with like issues of, of hurdles and situations and trying versus adversity of people. And I would not necessarily agree with the people part as much. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's yeah. a great discernment of between the yeah. two. Yeah. So, Lauren, this has been, as we suspected, a curious conversation. <laughs> Thank you me, for indulging me. If the, if the listeners are not leaving this with more excitement about curiosity, then listen again. <laughs> listen <laughs> again, because uh, you missed the fun in it. So, Lauren, uh, First question is, we always want our guests to have an opportunity to share anything in particular that you want to promote or highlight that's going on either personally or professionally. Um, don't, don't be confused, listeners. Uh, but I love people, hopefully clearly, and talking to almost everybody. Like, try me. Uh, and if you wanted to chat or anything, figure out what I do, find out a way to work with me. Um, I have two websites. You can find me on either. One of them is cultivatorofcuriosity.com. And I have some social uh, handles on there. Um, And then I also have a company that I run with two other awesome women called thisusnow.com. Socials are also on there. Um, Both of those ways, um, I speak and facilitate workshops and we want betterment of everybody and things. uh, And we we do that in ways of uh, 
playing in a sense. Uh, so let us let us come play with you and work a little bit. Awesome. And is that the best way for people to connect with you in general is through one of those websites? Uh, that is probably the best way to find more information on me. I am weirdly very active also on Twitter, which wasn't always the case. I'm it's me, Lauren Yee on Twitter. If you want to come chat. (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) Well, we always wrap up with a question and we're going to just do one with you today, Lauren. And the question is, what is the movie, the movie or the movie scene or the movie character that speaks to you about leadership? Okay. I don't know if this is going to date me specifically or who knows what, but there's it's not going to date lovely... you longer than us. <laughs> uh, it's not new, but um, so there's a movie called Sister Act Two that stars Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. And she is like a undercover, <laughs> if you will, nun. Uh, yeah. But it's a great movie and I love it. But in Sister Act Two, back in the habit. Uh, she is brought back to um, teach these kids because the kids are unruly and the, her friends have asked her to help. And there are so many great examples of her dealing with unruly, like high, I think they're high schoolers. Um, but the ways that she does it, there's like when things arise, she doesn't yell, but she creates boundaries. She asks for respect. Um, she makes they're not a right way to do something like she's teaching. And then someone's like, this is boring. Can we do it this way? And they start singing. And she's like, this is great. Let's do that. Uh, there's also a scene where she makes it a safe space because they're like auditioning for where they would be in this choir. And they're saying Mary had a little lamb and one girl in the class, like doesn't want to sing. And she's just like, people are like, what's going on? Just sing the song. And she's like, I don't, I don't know Mary had a little lamb and everyone starts laughing at her and she goes, we do not laugh at Maria. Maybe when she was growing up, like Mary had a little brother named Bob, like, and like makes it fine. And like, we're not going to laugh at her. This is fine. Sing something else and gives the permission for somebody to not know something. Um, And it's just so many versions of great things. She meets people where they're at, like be like Whoopi Goldberg's sister, Mary Clarence. (laughs) That's definitely a new one for us. (laughs) Well, that is a new one. And I remember those scenes. So that's what we love about that question. It allows us to bring out a different perspective from people's own experience of where they see leadership everywhere. And that's what leadership is about. And thank you for your leadership today, Lauren, the leadership you're giving in the world. And continue to be curious as i know you will and uh thank you for all the work you're doing to help what's the word um kidderize adults i'll go with kidderize it's a it's a great version there's no right way thanks for having me If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.